Alrighty, welcome to the first episode of the Strength Institute podcast. I've got a good friend of mine here, Lewis Dallimore, professional rugby union strength and conditioning coach. Has a bachelor's of science in exercise and sports science, a master's in strength and conditioning, and is living and working full-time in Japan with a professional Japanese rugby team. So before we get into it, I'll pass you over to Louis. Say welcome to the podcast. Nev, uh, thanks for having me on the first no episode. Worries, mate. Inaugural, inaugural what a, show. What an honour. Thank <laughs> you. Uh, yeah, I've been involved uh, in strength and conditioning predominantly with rugby for the last sort of 10 years or so. Um, had a few different roles. So I was with the Western Force from for 2010 to 2015. Beautiful. Uh, and then since then I moved to Japan, had an uh, opportunity to go up there. Fantastic. So we, Before we took, jump into Japan with the yeah. Western Force, what were your roles there? Uh, so initially, I just started off um, just on a part-time role, just with the Western Force, just doing some sports science-y, heart rate-related things. Sure. Uh, that then progressed into a role with the academy, and I became the the head of the academy strength and conditioning. So that was all the young guys coming up, sort of yeah. post school, um, trying to get yeah into anywhere the from under 15 so they could be 14 years old and yep. then anywhere through to probably 20, 21, 22 years old and they're the guys just in the brink trying to make it into the it, professional squad exactly. the wider playing squad yeah sure. yeah, yeah. so they were sort of on the fringe of the force so a big spectrum of athletes there uh, when I first started with the academy we had about 30 players Yeah. that then grew to about 100 players so we had a, a whole team of under 15s a whole team of under 17s a whole team of under 20s plus the, the fill-in players and it was about 100 people and so you're overlooking this whole yeah, thing in, yeah. in terms of strength and conditioning? Yeah, that's right. And so how do you handle a big group like that? Uh, I think the the key thing is just to focus on the, on the basics. So uh, there's not really enough time to write 100 individual programs. Sure. <clears throat> so just focus on their level of development. Uh, it could just be focusing on a squat, a pull, a push, a hinge movement, rather than looking at forwards and backs or wingers and props, uh, just focusing on, on their ability level. Sure, sure. And then from the academy, uh, you progressed into the actual Western Force? Yeah, so SEC? then the Force role sort of was there in the background and then that just sort of grew and grew and grew and I became sort of like the rehab guy, the rehab SNC. Uh, so if any player was injured, I would then sort of take over their strength and conditioning. Sure, so that became a lot more of a one-on-one component with you? Definitely. So yeah. if someone had um, done their knees, so had a player who had a, a, a knee or ACL, knee reconstruction, I'll then work with the physio and that player directly to have a program both for their lower body and for the upper body. So if they're if they're done their knee, then we look at it as an opportunity to increase the upper body strength. So I would have a, a very individualized program just just for their upper body. Yeah. As well as then working with the physio to look at their lower body strength. What can they be doing? Single day activities, hamstring work, glute work. What what can we be doing for this player? That was the extent of your role with the um, the full Western Force, is mainly working with the rehabilitation. Yeah, and and with the the main team, the in, main team in the well. gym. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of my work was more strength and gym based. Sure. Uh, I was at every session on the field, although I was mainly just sort of uh, in charge of things related to weight training. Sure. Okay. Fair enough. And then uh, post Western Force. Uh, career where did you go from then uh, so I um, one day one of the players said just came into the gym and he said hey mate do you want to go to Japan and I was thought yeah how cool is this so yeah I made a few connections and, and about a year later after that conversation I had an offer from a team in Japan uh, a lot of the Japanese teams work through agents and they the agents then acquire English speaking 
Western staff. Uh, and so I managed to have the right agent at the right time and I got a job in, or job offer in Japan. Fantastic. And which uh, team or club was that? Uh, Kintetsu Liners. Kintetsu Liners. Which is where I am still today. And that's a part of their equivalent of a Super Rugby, but over in Japan? Yeah, so it's... Uh, how many teams are there? There's 16 teams sure. in top league in Japan. Yeah. Uh, most of the teams are based around the Tokyo area. Yeah. Uh, we're in Osaka. There's a few teams based around there. Um, but yeah, they, they play you know week in, week out competition. Um, traveling to and from games it's, it's their major professional rugby competition yeah fantastic and, and and from those teams how many players are local Japanese players they get a lot of import players coming across to fill out the teams how does the, how does the demographic sort of look inside a team so uh, really big squad so the squad of about 50 yeah, nice um, squad. more than half of those players and this is different for every team but in, in my team more than half are called company players okay. so they have a job from usually the morning so uh for example, if you played for Honda, in the morning you go and build cars on the production line from, say, 9 to 12. You go and get some lunch, and then you come into rugby training. So in the, the Honda team's not just, Honda's not just sponsoring the team. They're no, actually linked with the business that, itself. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. So that's how rugby is run up there. They're all, all the teams are literally departments of these major companies. Oh, very So cool. they don't necessarily have sponsors. It's, it literally is that company. Right. So big companies like Panasonic, Toshiba, Honda, Toyota, any Japanese company you've heard of probably has a rugby team right. as one of their departments. Yeah, okay. That's really cool. I think there's a lot of good opportunities for players probably when they retire as well. Well, exactly. So so those guys, so Kintetsu is a train, well, they, they do a number of different things, but predominantly the rugby team is associated with the train line side of the business. Okay. So half these players, they're called company players, in the mornings, they go and work on the train lines. They punch tickets or stand in a little booth and wave people through gates. Uh, they'll do that for the morning. They then come to training in the afternoon where they do all the field training, all the gym, physio. So for them, it, it's almost like this professional amateur area. Right. Um, and then when they retire from rugby, they just they have a job for the rest of their life with that company. Sure. So it it's, takes a lot of the risk out of being a professional athlete. They, they're, they're safe. So they'll stay with that one team for 8, 10, 12 years. So there's not a lot of team hopping for no, the uh, local not, players? Not for the company players, no. Yeah, okay. But then the other half of the playing groups, the other sort of 25, are professional. So yep. they're full-time professional athletes. If they get cut at the end of the season, then they're, they're cut, they're out on their own. Right. Of that, um, you're allowed five foreigners on the field at a time. Okay. And two can be internationally capped. So you could have two Wallabies, two All Blacks, two Springboks. All right, but only five on the field at a time. Yes. So they just have to make sure they rotate them correctly during a game. But it's still a game day 25-man squad, 22, 23? 23-man squad. It's been a couple of years since I've played. 23-man uh, squad, but we always take, we usually take another two. Right. Just in case, to a game, in case someone gets gastro or something on the sure. day. Yeah. Uh, and that has happened once or twice. Uh, you got to question their mental toughness. We had a guy wake up and he had a sore shoulder and he had to pull out the morning of a game. Do we do we blame the SNC guys for gastro? <laughs> No, no, no. Oh, yeah, we'll blame the one. physio. Oh, yeah, blame and the physio. The That's doc. a good idea. Always blame the physio. <laughs> nice one. So, and then, now this is your fourth season. Um, uh, I've, I've done four You've seasons. Done four. You're so going I'm back going into fifth. fifth. Fantastic. Yeah. And um, all right, so we uh, touched on it just before. Injuries um, happen all the time, especially contact sports uh, like rugby. Um, you're going to get injuries from the junior level all the way through, um, and you're going to have a huge uh, variety of injuries. So. What are the most common injuries you see as a professional strength and conditioning coach and 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 your job of, of making sure everyone's performing well but also can stay on the field? 
what do you do to try to prevent some of those injuries? So uh, common injuries, there's probably, uh, you'd like, classify like two types. There'd be non-contact, which uh, you don't want to get them. As an SNC guy, you want to avoid not, uh, non-contact injuries. And that'd probably be deemed as preventable. So more like chronic injuries? Uh, things like doing a hamstring. Like if you just had a winger running by himself on the wing okay. and he's hamstring taut, right. that's, that could probably be avoided. Sure. Uh, you can't avoid all injuries, but um, you definitely don't want to have three of them in a game because you've probably missed something and done something wrong. Overworked or Overworked, not warmed up enough. Yeah, not, yeah. Pre- not prepared sure. either on the gym or the field. They're just not ready to be training at that level right. or playing at that level. And then there's contact injuries, which is if you get smash between two blokes that are 110 kilos and your knee pops out well there's not much you can do about that that's, right that's part of rugby yeah, or okay. contact sport in general sure so in terms of prevention um what are the main areas that you are honing in on to sort of enhance prevention of injuries yeah so the common ones we see definitely in japan uh mainly more lower body yeah uh, knees ankles or? yeah so knees and ankles yeah uh you don't really and i don't know if this is just my team or, or if it's Japan in, in whole, but I don't really see a lot of shoulder injuries. Okay. Compared to Australia, where I'd say every second player at the force had had a shoulder recon. Right. So. What would you chalk that up to? I have no idea. Different in, in size of the players. Uh, and potentially, yeah, yeah, the way they tackle. Maybe they've got shorter arms, so then the levers aren't as long to pop shoulders. In out. Japan. Yeah, in Japan. Right. Um, I think the way that they tackle. The Japanese tend to just dive at your ankles. Okay. So that would indicate more lower body injuries. And then when you just fall over, whether in Australia it's not, or in other parts of the world, it's not just diving at ankles, it's, it's big tackles, big collisions. And wraps, yeah. And wraps and, and falling over. and. Fair enough. Okay. So I think it could be the way they tackle um, both, like increases the lower body injuries and then decreases upper body Okay, so uh, seeing mainly lower body injuries in Japan, when you're in the gym, are you primarily focusing on um, building up big quads, like hitting squats, or are you focusing on strictly the prevention of like carrying hammies, so doing uh, a lot of hamstring work, or or, or do you just try to strengthen the whole lower body in general at the same sort of rate? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. So there's a number of different areas. One would be, say, increasing your squat. Uh, so just getting stronger in the lower body and that's more of a performance orientated thing we want these guys to be bigger and stronger and be right. able to run faster and then from injury prevention pers- uh, point of view I do a number of different activities so for example in the warm up before we do a, a big squat session or anything for the lower body we might do things like hopping and landing single leg um, like single leg jumping and spinning landing so things like proprioception for the knees for the ankles stability based exercises these aren't the the meat and potatoes of the workout but they're we use them as a warm-up or use them as a component in throughout a a gym session sure to prevent injuries to the lower body yeah okay Uh, and then hamstrings uh we definitely try and strengthen as much as we can using conventional exercises like a, a glute ham raise or a romanian deadlift yeah as well as doing things like plyometrics uh, and then also just exposure to high-speed running and uh, gradually building that up over time to hopefully prevent injuries to Yeah, sure. Okay, perfect. Um, well, you, you then just uh, touched on performance and, you know, performance testing, squats, wanting to get guys big and stronger and faster. 
what are the main performance tests you do with your players? And this can range not just strength, um, sort of like strength, speed, fitness. What, what's, the, what's the whole array of testing that you do with your players over in Japan? Uh, so <clears throat> I'd call it, give it a technical name, athletic profiling. Athletic profiling. <laughs> it's nice. a fancy name yeah. for just uh, testing people. Okay. <laughs> so there's the, the basic strength test, which I think everyone's probably done, which is just a bench press, 1RM, a chin-up, 1RM, a squat, 1RM. Uh, and we do a power clean, but that can be a bit of a, a great area. Just because it's a bit more technical. Exactly, right. yeah. So if technique's a bit funny, you're not really measuring their power, you're measuring their technique. Right. Which doesn't overly uh, carry over to a game. Which I guess is similar to squat, but just not... Uh, exactly, yeah. a bigger extent, it's exactly. more technical. Yeah, okay. more technical. Uh, and so they're the basic sort of gym lifts. Yeah. We then also have a, a jump mat or a, a timing mat. Sure. You might have seen them before. Similar to like a force plate. Yes, yeah, like a cheap version of a, okay, of a sure. force plate. Uh, so you, we do a uh, what, what I call a, an RSI or a reactive um, strength index. Sure. So you get a 30-centimeter box. The player steps off the 30-centimeter box and bounces back up as high as they can, yeah. keeping their lower body reasonably stiff. So we're looking at a stretch-shortening cycle um, in their lower body, so through the calves, Achilles. Uh, this is quite closely related to sort of running and sprinting and, yeah. and also jumping okay. so if someone's got a really high if someone can step off a box and bounce really high they're usually a springy powerful fast athlete sure if someone steps off a box and just goes donk and stops on the ground they're usually not strong not powerful not fast is this also have some uh, crossover to sort of change the direction when you see guys being able to sidestep really dynamically and fast um, versus guys that can't the guys that can't probably just don't have that uh, muscular development uh, to be able to take all that mass and change directions quickly? Exactly, yeah. 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 So the person that's stepping off the box, they've got to uh, eccentrically load the tendon and the muscle yeah. and then turn that into a concentric force incredibly quickly and this would give them a, a good score or a, yeah, a, a higher R RSI. I also have a vertical jump, a broad jump, uh, a fitness test, so we could use a yo-yo or a bronco. Okay. Uh, and then also a speed test. So Can you explain for people that don't know what a yo-yo or a bronco test is? Yeah, so they're a, a running fitness test. Uh, a yo-yo is like a beat test, but it has a little break at, at, at one end. So a little bit of an uh, active or passive recovery yeah, part? so they call it an intermittent uh, recovery sure. test. So there's a beep. The player runs to uh, 20 metres, beep again. They turn around and it says beep. Yeah. They finish their shuttle or the run. There's then a 10 second break before they start the next one. Okay. So these beeps get closer and closer together, and which means you have to run faster and faster. You run and faster, faster. There's always a set amount of time on the rest. Yes. Yeah. It's, always, it's always 10 seconds. Sure. Okay. And the bronco test? And bronco test is uh, 20, 40, 60. So 20 meters out and back, 40 meters out and back, 60 meters out and back. Yeah. And you do that three times. Three times through. And that should be 1.2 k's. Okay. And that can give you a... And that's a, continuous. There's no... Continuous. Yeah, there's no break. Continuous. And so the point of doing the change of direction as opposed to just continuous 1.2 kilometer time trial? Uh, you can do 1.2, say, in, a, in an oval fashion. Right. The reason I think the Bronco test is done on a rugby field like that is simply because that's what you have available. Sure. You don't have a running track right. in a perfect oval available to you. Yep, fair but enough. you can have a straight line backwards and forwards. Okay. So uh, now that we've got an idea of, of the battery of tests that you put them through to get the athletic profile? Correct, Athletic yes. profile. Um, why are you picking those things? Why are you picking these exercises and fitness tests? Uh, so number of 
different reasons. It's just just try and get a complete picture of of them as an athlete. Are they strong enough? Are they fast enough? Are they fit enough? Uh, are they powerful enough to be performing at their best? Or are they are they poor? Therefore, they need to work on it and and get better. Okay. So once I've created this profile for the athlete, you then have a picture of them and you can progress that forward. So maybe they're not strong enough, so they need to work on their strength. Maybe they're not fast enough, they need to work on their speed. Maybe they're, they're really big and strong, but they're really unfit. So therefore, their program needs to be more tailored towards fitness side of things. Sure. Now, you actually had an article on your website, lewisdalamore.com. That's right. That's yeah. right. Uh, mentioning something similar to this. Yeah, I, I would have talked about this. I did write an article uh, about this sort of athletic profiling and then working on someone's weak area to try and help bring up the, the total package. Right. Uh, so maybe you're really strong yep. and, and you're fit, but you lack, say, that RSI, that um, stretch shortening cycle, that quickness. Explosive power. Therefore, maybe your program is more geared towards explosive power and just maintaining your strength. Okay. And if you do that, what I've found, at least in my group of people, is that uh, that can then make you a better athlete focusing on that weak area sure could increase your profile okay and so that that is what you found you found because i mean i guess there'd be some debate on whether it's better just to focus on what you're already good at to sort of yeah be the, be the best be the strongest you know will that have more positive effect than trying to be pretty strong and pretty fast but you know not the fastest or the strongest um you found that evening up the weaker spots actually gave a, a better result to the players i did so i found uh Evening up the the weaker spot. So take for example, the guy that's he's really he can squat a lot and he's really strong, but his his vertical jump is really poor. Sure. So therefore he's strong enough. He's got these big strong legs, but they can't produce any power. So do I just keep trying to make him stronger? Yeah. Or do I just sort of maintain that and try and increase his vertical jump? Okay. What I found is that even if I gear the program to more towards the power vertical jump side of things, is that his squat might still actually get better. Okay. So I'm not trying to decrease his so we're never squat. negating anything it's yeah. always it's, so he's, he might get 5% stronger but then he might get a 20% gain on that vertical okay. jump side of things perfect so now that we know all of the performance testing that you do what happens when people start to decline and does that, does that happen do people you're testing you're expecting to see these numbers mm-hmm. squat strength go up power go up um, I'm assuming that as if it's a long season, those numbers might start to come back down. Is that just uh, overtraining, just general fatigue? Um, or, or what do you do to combat um, those sort of issues? Uh, you'd have to just really have a look. Like People should realistically, if they're in a, a supervised, well-written, well-prescribed program, they should be getting stronger. If they're getting weaker, you'd need to look at some underlying causes so that could be fatigue that could be the program's just not right for them and, and their training age yeah um, and I do have some guys of, of an older player in Japan I think he's 36 or 37 I'm not really trying to get him much stronger it's more just about maintaining what he's got so that he can play on the field at his, at his best sure so if he just continually benches 120, 120, 120 for, for the rest of the year I'd be quite happy with that. Okay. I'm not trying to squeeze more out of him. But then if you have a younger player and it's his first year, you do want to see these improvements right. in performance. Absolutely. Fair enough. Uh, but so if you're asking someone decline, is it age-related? Is it fatigue-related? So there could be a number. Motivation-related. Motivation, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Motivation-related. Um, and, and you do get, like I'm sure in every profession in the world, there are people that are lazy at their jobs and you do get rugby players that are lazy in the gym and on the field and 
sometimes you do see numbers go down or yeah. not you not you want you expect them to be stronger and, and they don't get stronger yeah and you do have to question and sometimes you have to have those hard hard discussions with the players and say listen mate you're actually not training hard enough and uh, for example I had a discussion with a prop we did these end of season reviews and uh, luckily that, that in Japan I have sort of two um, loose heads who are really really good really really strong hard working guys they just they don't talk they just get in the gym they work same on the field they just they put in and then there's a third one who just sort of trickles along and hides behind them and doesn't do much and his numbers just don't improve ever in, in any sort of test you want to do fitness speed strength power and I, just had to have, I had to have a discussion with him and say listen mate like you're not training hard enough compare you to these two they're really increasing and and training very hard and you you don't and you're just sort of floating along treading water right yeah so the motivation, definitely. Motivation, definitely a big one. Yeah. Alrighty, so we've covered injuries. We've covered uh, what performance tests you do to get their athletic profile. Um, and I guess the, the next, probably the most important thing when it comes to strength and conditioning for a professional rugby team is how they're actually performing, the players are performing on, on the field. So, uh, again, I'm imagining there's a, a huge amount of statistics that you can get from a game. What are the main areas that you look at uh, in regards to uh, a player's performance uh, in game. Well, uh, funny you should ask them. So I'm actually, I'm doing, well, I'm trying to do some research into this area, uh, and hopefully publishing a study in the next few months. Fantastic. On this, uh, <laughs> so um, in in regards to the statistics, what I've been really interested in and looking at is, can any of my S and C statistics, so the strength, the power, the fitness, the speed, does any of that actually correlate with in-game statistics right uh, and I can say yes it does um, and if things like speed and fitness tend to be closely more closely related with statistics from the match so if you're looking at say in attack uh, defenders beaten line breaks meters made you're probably looking at speed yeah and then in defense you're looking at things like number of tackles made and uh, or attempted tackles you're looking at fitness so if someone's fitter they're probably going to be in the right spot you may make a tackle, get back off the ground, make another tackle, get back right. off the ground. And, and so that sort of common sense. There's still a lot of questions to be answered, uh, questions to be asked and answered. I think what you'll find is that uh, there's a threshold. So if someone already has a 20 yo-yo, taking them to 21 wouldn't increase their statistics in a match. Sure. So that, I think there would be a, like a threshold that exists. And that, that sort of does touch back again uh, on building up your weaker points. Someone's already fit. You don't need to work on getting them that little bit fitter, yeah. but maybe they need to improve their sprint speed a little exactly, bit more. Exactly, yeah. Right. So let's say you already bench 180. Is making you bench 185 going to make you better at fending off blokes or, or busting a tackle? Right. I don't think so. But if you only benched 90 and they take your bench from 90 to 150, you're probably going to be better at pushing people off you. Yeah, and, without and, question. Yeah. So I, I think what... And what I'd like to hopefully answer in the future is, is does that sort of threshold or top end exist? Where is it? And how does that impact the game and statistics in a match? Right. Okay. And uh, what about other statistics like um, meters covered in a game? Yeah. Uh, so what I'm currently working on is looking at all those, um, particularly the, the lower body S&C related things. So the, the vertical jump, the broad jump, the RSI, your squatting strength. Uh, does that relate to your GPS running in a game? So 
um, GPS is is a huge part of field sports or sport right, in general. Everyone wears them now. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So some main things I look at are like total meters covered, um, high speed meters covered, which is how much sort of high speed running have they done in a game? And that's just a certain kilometers per hour threshold. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, five meters a second okay. is what I look at, and, and above yeah. as high speed running, and then also meters per minute. And so what uh, we found, and hopefully soon to be published, is that, and it's really logical, but the better athlete you are, so the bigger your broad jump and your vertical jump and your squat, and, and particularly your power to weight, right? that directly transfers to your match running performance. Okay. So if you want to run around more in a game, make more tackles, break more lines, bash into more people, right? your lower body strength and conditioning really has an impact. Well, well, question on that one, is that then still subject to what position they're in? Because you would assume that your tight five or your front row should have some of the biggest squats in the team compared to maybe a scrum half or some of the smaller players. Um, but the those smaller guys, you're sure that you know they're going to be getting a lot of meters in the game, a lot more meters than probably a prop would. So how, how does that balance out? Or is it just within the position itself? So the props that can squat more and have more dynamic on the, uh, the jump test and other props, they're generally going to be putting in more meters per game. Well, I think we, um, what we found is that it's it's relative to the player's body weight. Okay. So if uh, your prop weighs 120 and you're squatting 240, it's yeah. still a two times body weight squat. Okay. That would be very similar to a halfback who's 90 who's squatting 180. Uh, they've both got a two times body weight squat. Therefore, their running performance, well, that's a bit of a stretch, but they might, might be similar. Okay. Uh, but, but then particularly the other um, things like a vertical jump or the broad jump, because that really depends on your on your body weight right. and your strength compared to your body weight, Yeah, uh, that has shown to be really closely related to your, your meters per minute and your uh, high speed running in the game. Okay. So actually, we've come up with uh, some equations or some predictive equations. So for example, if you were to decrease your body weight by... I think it's about three kilos, you would have an increase of 2% in your high speed running in a match. So there are these sort of um, these predictive equations that we've come out with from, right. from that data set. From the data. Yeah. And this is data collected from the last sort of four four years? Yeah, the last probably the last uh, up until 2017 because I started this about a year ago. Okay. <laughs> so it's taken a little while to get it yeah, right. Get it written up and okay. um, to this point. But yeah, it's, it's, it's data from the last sort of... So 15, 16, 17. Okay. So just sort of putting some dot points on it, you want to have those good strength results, power results, fitness tests, but you also really want to be um, not lugging around any extra weight than you have to. For sure. I think the little asterisk point, uh, powder weight's great, but if, if you're a 60 kilo player and you can squat 120, if there's a 110 kilo guy running at you, like you're going to get flattened. So, so being absolutely bigger and stronger also would, would help okay. in a contact sport. All right, so we want absolute strength and power yeah. and good power to weight ratio. <laughs> exactly, That's the yeah. dream. Yeah. All right, perfect. Bigger, stronger, faster. Bigger, stronger, and faster. I love yeah. it. All righty, so you mentioned before when you were um, training the junior players to the Academy of the Western Force, you had 100 of them. Um, it had to be quite general, and because they were younger, it was not sort of positional. It was more just, hey, what's your strength level? what's your ability yet and sort of doing a bit more generic programming how do you program 
for a professional team where you still you said you have a lot of guys in the squad, um, but you probably have a primary. You're saying the top twenty five guys that are touring around for the most part. How are you uh, uh, organizing your programs, and is it all positional, or do you still do it by strength levels um, and stuff like that? Well, I think uh, just doing something positionally doesn't isn't necessarily individualized. Sure. Because you could have two props. And they're both tight end props, but they could have completely different bodies, completely different injury histories, completely different uh, and needs analysis. Sure. So you just try and work with the coaches. Uh, say if it if it's two locks, you speak with the forwards coach. You say, "Hey, I got two locks here. What do they need? Like maybe one needs to be be fitter or jump higher, and that comes into that whole athletic profiling bit again. But then, therefore, the programs are, are sort of individualized to the athlete. Uh, to their injury history, there's a lot of guys that obviously rugby is a contact sport, a lot of history of injuries, working around those and trying to best train the athlete for, for what they need uh, while avoiding hurting them anymore. Sure. Okay. And then uh, in, in regards to uh, injury prevention, um, you know, you had mentioned that if players are pulling their hammies in the warm-ups or early in games, um, there's something gone wrong, whether they're, they're overtrained or they're not trained enough. Uh, do you have some sort of tool or metric that you track uh, to sort of keep track on this? Like, do you use RPE a lot? Um, or, or how do you sort of monitor your players to make sure that they're getting the right amount of stimulus and not too much? Yeah, so I uh, use GPS heavily. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's uh, currently my role. That's probably my main tool that I use is GPS. Sure. Uh, and there's a number of metrics you can get from that. And, and you can use RPE as well. I've found that the GPS and the RPE tend to match up. So if there's a big session on the GPS, if it's an 8K session and it's really high speed and it's high intensity, generally the RPEs are going to be quite high. Right. If you have a, a 3K session that's a light jog walkthrough, that the RPE is going to be quite low. Sure. So I've found generally that the RPEs and the GPS match up. Okay. Um, and I, I still use RPEs, but I think with RPE which is rating of perceived exertion, just right. for people that don't know. Sure. So if if someone's done a they've done a gym session, they've done a field session, you'd come up to them at the end of the session and you'd say RPE, which is rating of perceived exertion, and they would give you a, a number between 1 and 10. 10 being it was the hardest thing they've ever done, 1 being very, very light. Okay. Uh, so use both RPE and GPS. I tend to put more emphasis on the GPS because I think sometimes people are... Uh, forgetful or lazy or and, and, and RPs can, can fluctuate a bit. Sure. Um the numbers don't lie. But the numbers don't lie. Right. But but then on the other hand, if if I said to you go for a run around the block and then I said to your grandma, go for a run around the block, her RP is going to be ten. Right. And and your RP is going to be three. Okay. So there are going to be individual I appreciate that. differences. <laughs> two, two maybe. Yeah. yeah. Uh so but I'd, I'd but even though your GPS might be the same. Okay. So you're gonna have vastly different RPEs. Right. But given that the population is professional rugby players, yes. I do put more emphasis on the GPS. Okay. Uh, the main metric I look at is called acute to chronic ratio. Okay. So if I take a four-week average of how much you've done, and that that's going to be your baseline, that's going to be neutral, it's going to be the four-week average. If you go well above that or well below that, now you're looking at under-training and over-training. Now, what is well above, well below? 15%, 20%? Well, um, it, it's going to be like 130% is going to be overdone. Yeah. And this is um, research done by Tim Gabbett. Okay. Uh, not by myself. Hopefully apply it. Um, the So, yeah, we look at this acute to chronic ratio and try and keep them in this happy zone of between sort of 
0.8 and 1.3, or okay. 80%. Uh, yeah, like, so if 80% of the of the base workload. Yeah, 80% of the base workload, or 130%. Okay. So if players are going going to be going above that, so let's say for example you've had four weeks of solid training, and then the boys we go on camp, and this is this happened last year for me. Uh, we go on camp, and the the coaches said we're gonna we're gonna smash them on camp. We're gonna be training three times a day. We're gonna be getting up at six a.m. and running around the building, and you think, oh my god. And so I so did these predictive loads, and I said to them, look, the the acute chronic ratio is gonna be like one point seven, one point eight. Wow. Like we're really gonna be risking injuries, unnecessary injuries, unnecessary injuries. Yeah. Predom- those injuries are probably gonna come from hamstrings, calves, these soft tissue preventable injuries. Yeah, groin strains. Uh, and I, I told them, I actually said, like, this is probably what's going to happen. Well, we went ahead with it anyway. They went ahead with the, the training. And we played a game um, midway through camp. And we got beaten about 90 to 5. Oh, wow. And I think in that game, we might have had four concussions. Four concussions? Yeah, which is huge. You shouldn't really be. No. And uh, I think my um, guess would be that they're fatigued, very tired, not fast enough to get into the right position. They're just diving at tackles, desperately trying to make these tackles and getting their heads knocked. Right. Uh, after that, things were changed and they actually listened to me and, and, and training load was modified. Yeah, okay. Uh, but so acute to chronic ratio will be the main metric I look at. Okay. Um, trying to monitor their fatigue and their performance. So making sure they're training enough to get fitter and stay fit. Okay. But not training too much to get injured overtraining and injuries right you actually um, mentioned concussions which is something that I wanted to talk to you about which was a lot of people say uh, unavoidable um, injuries concussions and contusions stuff like that now what's your opinion on that uh, you know you see a lot of people talking about having really strong necks traps to be able to support their head to prevent concussion mm. do you uh, do you specifically train that um, you know, especially with front rollers that are you know using that uh, their neck muscles a lot in the scrums so we do specifically train the neck um, isometrically, uh, eccentrically, concentrically, rotation, um, all, all different angles, try and get the neck and traps as strong as possible, particularly for the front rollers. Right. Um, the forwards coach I worked with used to tell me that the head is a weapon and the neck is a weapon and, and use your head in the scrum and he'd get in there and yeah. wiggle his head around <laughs> yeah, and yeah. bash into people. And uh, So definitely training the neck, very okay. important. All right. Uh, in regards to it being preventable concussion, I think that oh, some would be, uh, some would be un, un, unpreventable. Right. So if you know someone tackles you, you weird position, you get a knee to the head. Right. There's not much you can do about it. But it is somewhat preventable if you have the fitness level to put yourself in the best position possible. Exactly. Yeah. You've been in the gym. You've worked yourself so that you have the best yeah. supporting muscular structure through the uh, neck and traps and everything like that. Exactly. Okay. So being fit enough to, as you said, get in the right position and also just tackle technique. Right. So I was working with a defense coach or just any sort of coach about your, your tackling technique, where do you put your head, where do you put, where do you get your shoulder to hit, those sorts of things sure. um, can all be used to help prevent concussion. Fantastic. All right. And uh, I guess we'll just finish on, on one note here is if you had any advice for uh, younger players who are looking to step up their game uh, to try to break into that next level, um, what would be, what should be their key focus in terms of strength and conditioning? Well, I think uh, if you're a younger player, just focusing on the basics. So get basic movement patterns. Uh, so in the gym, that'd be a push, a pull, a squat, and a hinge. And also think something that's, that's vastly overlooked 
if you wanted to play water polo, you'd need to learn how to swim. Right. If you want to play rugby, you need to learn how to run. And I think actually having sort of running, coaching, running training, speed coaching uh, can be pivotal to, to running performance in a game. Uh, so, so working on your running technique, I think, is, is really important for young players. Right. Well, that makes sense with your statistics as well, showing that you know meters covered per second, top speed, everything like that is really important for uh, your performance indicators in a game. Correct. Mm, exactly. Nice. Awesome. And with that, we'll wrap up the very first episode of the Strength Institute podcast. just want to say thank you very much for listening and for Lewis for coming on the show and giving us all that great information. I will link all of his details in the notes below. So in case you want to follow along with his current research, uh, you can. Thanks very much, guys. See you next time.